welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5c.consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. I am your host, Greg Ballard, and I am joined by founder and CEO of Brian Weaver of Torch AI. Brian, welcome. Greg, thanks for having me on. Glad to have you here with us today. So uh, we chatted a little bit here just before this, this show and got to learn about a few things. Uh, I'd love to hear about what you're doing. What is Torch AI and what are you, what are you guys doing in the marketplace today? Yeah, thanks for uh, the question. It's actually, you know, the the business was really founded out of a complete failure. We uh, we had this idea. I acquired a big healthcare uh, information analytics business uh, back in 2009 from Wells Fargo, uh, and had this idea that I wanted to get deeper and deeper into uh, machine learning and more, you know, sort of scalable analytics. Uh, the healthcare marketplace is really messy, and the data is, you know, clunky and and this particular company focuses on FDA regulated medical devices and medical technology. Uh, and so that was the idea, right? And what we found was that the deeper we got into it, the data itself was, was just a mess. And so you had to have, you know, kind of this endless uh, procession of people behind a curtain, uh, turning a crank, to try and uh, get anything meaningful out of it. And it ended up being just the worst job you can possibly imagine, right? So we would sell these huge contracts to companies like GE or even Microsoft was, was probably the best and worst one. Um, and it just took so many people to kind of clean and prepare information to get any kind of analytic insight out of it. And it, just one day I was like, man, this, is, this has got to change. I can't build a business like this. People hate their jobs and uh, the results aren't consistent and the customers want more and it's just like a recipe for disaster. And so um, I met a guy named John and uh, a guy, John Kramer, who's our CTO. And he's one of these genius people that comes along, you know, maybe a, a couple of these types of folks uh, you encounter in your lifetime, uh, uh, you know, just maybe a handful of times. Um but basically, he came from a background where he was building technology for companies like Walmart and, and a, a, in the commodities business, oil and gas. And he had uh, just sold a company um, and he was retired. And I convinced him to join Torch. And I stuck him in a broom closet with some other folks and said, hey, solve, solve this messy data problem. And uh, he, you know, he popped out a, a, almost a year later and, and he had it licked. And, and uh, maybe the punchline here is that we we invented and, and then later patented this idea of, of applying machine learning to data while it's moving, data in flight, uh, mm. which no one else is doing to make the data better quality, more available. And so that's, that's really uh, when the, the huge growth of Torch started happening. Um, you know, we solved this fundamental problem with, you know, with enterprise workflows with uh, with analytics with all this kind of stuff and so anyway that's torch so we we built a software product um, and uh, we sell it to commercial companies and it was later discovered by the federal government and it's just gone gangbusters since then it's been fun 
Fantastic. So if we break it down for the layman, uh, which I am right, uh, keeping it simple, uh, the problem was is that data, you know, getting the data cleaned and in a, in, a, in a usable way where you actually have a real insight, you can make good decisions from it. The, the past process just wasn't working. It was broken, cost too much, bad results. And now you, you, you've taken machine learning, AI, and you're able to convert data in motion. I'd love to understand that a little bit more, if you could, uh, and then present something that's usable for decision-making. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's right. And so when you really just think about it, machines create most of the data that we have that floats around us today, right? So most people listening today deal with a PDF document uh, at some point in, in their day. Every, every day someone touches a PDF and a PDF is probably the, one of the worst pieces of information you can imagine, right? Um, it's messy, it's hard to use, it's hard to search. Uh, and it's because it's, it's, it's called unstructured. Um, you know, it's not in a clean place where it's easy to find what, you know, what's in it. Uh, and more importantly, a machine can't read a PDF in a traditional way. And so uh, machines are creating this stuff. And, and in fact, almost 90% of enterprise information is messy like this. Uh, and so when you get into it, the fact that a machine's creating information and what's the world's answer, it's to stick a human being in there to filter it and understand it. And then turn it into a format that a machine can then later use. And so you've got this kind of person in between, human in between, and it's this big degradation of humanity. Jobs suck today. Um, I mean, it, most of our clients have thousands of, uh, of, of employees that literally sit at a computer and pull up uh, information documents and transcribe them into Excel, right? That's like the most popular thing. Open a PDF on the left and copy stuff into uh, an Excel table on the right. And you just think about how stupid that is. Um, it, it, it's just, but that's the answer to the world. Um, and no one says, well, you know, it, everybody starts making tools to just make copying it over easier, places to park it, you know, you know more available. And, and what's funny is no one was saying, what if we just used a machine to create a, a machine readable output at machine speed? Instead of, you know, having machine create the data a human then creating uh, the output. It's such a simple thing, you know, just have a machine read it uh, at, the, at the, the point of ingestion. So the way we transform the data is we actually, um, we built an AI system that can take anything, you can throw anything at it and it'll instantly understand what it is. Like it could be a PDF video file or whatever. And the first thing it does is it turns it into text that a machine can then later read. So that's like the simplified version of what we do. Um, is there an acronym for that? Like is it ORC or OCR? Well, but see, that's just understanding uh, or pulling out characters on the page. So that's optical character recognition is called OCR. Uh, you then would take that output and then you would apply uh, a certain type of machine learning to it called uh, natural language processing. So I can, I use OCR to um, turn pixels on a page into text that mm -hmm. can then be read by something else. But before that, in order for something to be OCR, it has to be prepared in, in a certain way. I have to know what it is. I can't OCR a video file and I can't OCR, um, like there are certain documents that, that uh, where OCR is too almost fragile or brittle to be able to 
to uh, shove it through there. And so you need to have a human being uh, putting it into a format so that the thing can, it can even just be turned into uh, raw text. But then one of the challenges, I have a couple of challenges. One of them is I need to be able to do the same thing to all data. And if I'm creating almost like a subsystem to only handle a fraction of the information that can be OCR, I've sort of failed. Uh, but OCR is part of it and LP is part of it. Um, but again, unfortunately, those products uh, and the way they're built, they have human beings in the, in the loop uh, and they're not very accurate. Um, they, have a, they have a hard time understanding, for example, uh, in a document when there's a table, like a, a nested table or handwriting in it, and it's in a, it's in a block that's, that's in a spot maybe that the machine doesn't understand uh, or isn't templatized. Then, then some of these tools like these OCR uh, readers basically uh, end up failing. And so the quality coming out of OCRs is, is not perfect. Therefore, people have to come in and, and kind of make up for the, uh, the lack of perfection. So that, that's, you know, again, there's lots of tools to help machines read uh, messy information, but they don't work very well. So... If you could give us an example, give our listeners an example of where your technology is adding value in the marketplace and and taking this messy data and I, and and, and uh, I'm assuming it's more than text, right? It's more than PDF files, probably data tables, maybe other things as well. And and what what comes out at the back end that makes it um, you know something that you can make decisions from? Yeah. So the first thing, um, maybe maybe to when you think about uh, most of our clients, most of our clients are very large commercial enterprises where they've got a lot of people uh, that are plugging holes in a workflow. So I think about big insurance companies um, that are uh, processing policies. Uh, and it's, it's areas actually where um, OCR tools fail, NLP tools fail, even data labeling tools uh, end up failing because there's not... Uh, the, the documents are so complex um, that, and, and again, they're based on this, this sort of alternative workflow or, the, or, or what these other tools are uh, reliant upon. And so a, a real common use case is really the one I described earlier, where you've got uh, an employee that has to pull up a document, say, on their, on, on their computer, and then they're looking for a handful of uh, bits of information. Um, and so again, OCR and NLP can give me access to that information, but I still have to go through because I can't figure out where, for example, uh, this one uh, field might be um, in, in insurance. Subrogation is a big uh, term. Well, that can appear 52 times in a single document. Well, how do I know which one it is? You know, and a machine needs to be able to process and understand the context around what that is. Otherwise, again, you, you have a person that's still saddled with figuring out uh, you know, where it is and then uh, transcribing it. So the, the most often, and most of our customers have a big uh, workflow. They're either po uh, processing raw text, uh, an image of text, PDF documents, it could be invoices, and they're pulling information out of them uh, for another system. And typically uh, most of our customers have human beings that are, uh, that are kind of stuck, saddled with that type of job. And that's not what they were hired for, um, but that's what they find themselves doing because these machines are creating more and more of this information. 
And so our innovation is that you can take any of these objects without it, without our system knowing what is being thrown at it, whether it's a PDF document, an image, a fact, um, a video file, audio file, and instantly the system will understand what it is because it thinks like a human. Like you use your eyes to do sort of some pattern recognition. You use your brain to assimilate and contextualize. Uh, and our system really approaches the understanding of this information in a very similar way. So as the document or audio file or video file uh, is presented, and that's the big thing is we can do it uh, at the moment of ingestion or the moment of query. We don't have to go and do it on data at rest. Uh, we don't need to go there today because it adds another little layer of, of uh, fun complexity. We'll stay at the surface. But basically, our system thinks like a human and it can kind of make sense of what the, the content and subjects are um, so that you can understand, uh, again, context and correlation is, is really what people are aiming at. And so once it understands, hey, I got an audio file, I need to then uh, apply a machine learning model to transcribe uh, to text every, all of the audio and use detect languages and all that stuff. It does, what our system does uniquely is uh, it pre-processes all this information uh, in, in sub-second speed so that you can apply all these other combinations of machine learning analysis to the data while it's still in motion. Um, so that's kind of the key thing. And what we what we found, for example, we have one uh, client in the insurance industry where um, we're saving them almost $3 million a year uh, by not having to process uh, policies this way. Um, we're saving a, uh, another company in the engineering and construction field potentially uh, as much as $500 million by just uh, being able to read and understand invoices uh, better and faster. And so really it's it, but, but really the value proposition and what's kind of funny about it is uh, people spend most of their day making sense of PDFs and junky documents. Uh, and when you let a machine do it for you, the human gets to use their brain um, and not only do you, you have all the cost savings, but you, you gain a bunch of intelligence around, you know, this information that's flowing through the system. Um, and so again, kind of first value proposition is average employee gets about six hours back in their day where they don't have to read a document. And then the follow on, uh, value proposition is that once the machine has processed the document, now all of a sudden I can, I can start to see. Uh, in, in this data fabric uh, architecture, you can start to see correlation context across everything, not just the individual so documents. If I, can, if I can see if I can capture this in my own words, and, and, and if I'm oversimplifying, pardon me, but it sounds like you're combining internal document search and synthesis, taking everything together and synth you know, searching it, organizing and synthesizing it, into the relevant information that that whoever's you know putting the query in needs yeah the problem with like like an, since you brought up ocr and and i brought up nlp before a lot of times what happens is uh the systems that are out there that don't process pre-process the data like we do they'll have to put like a box around what they're looking for and so then they take that box, that's how they, they point the OCR tool to pull those words out from that section. The problem is they throw everything else away. And so how do I search the rest of the document? I've lost all of that content, mm -hmm. the textual mm -hmm. stuff. 
that allows me to know that the word subrogation is on the, the one that's on page 42, you know, not 142 is the one I want. Well, I, a machine can process everything on the page, uh, you know, much faster than a human being. So yes, um, again, in a simple way, uh, it's sort of man versus machine. And in this case, um, you know, it's not like, uh, <laughs> it's not like the AI is sentient. It's just doing something faster than a human can do it. Um, and this is a job that humans don't need to do. Uh, and so yeah. it's, you know, fantastic. I want to, I want to thank you for breaking that down and making it a little bit more understandable for me, uh, simple mind. Right. But I want to highlight a couple things about Torch AI. One, I uh, mentioned earlier, you guys had the uh, the nomination for the ACG National Capital Growth Awards. You also were recognized by Forbes as one of America's best startup employee employers. Uh, tell us a little about uh, of the organization, the growth trajectory mm -hmm. you've been having, and uh, how are, are you keeping your organization adaptable in the market? Uh, great question. So we've had a lot of fun. I mean, again, we're a, a company full of engineers and we're nerds, as you can tell. Uh, and we love, we love this stuff. And so I think that's kind of one of those things about building a culture is understanding, you know, what you do for customers, um, how to delight them and kind of what that, that core value proposition is, but also giving employees some room to be innovative and, and creative. Right. And, and that I think is missing, uh, in the world a little bit today. Um, but no, we've, we've had fun. So, you know, I shared with you that um, we were involved with a very large commercial company um, in a, you know, trying to counter fraud using our system. And one of the things that our system was able to do that a human couldn't was process uh, individual keystrokes to figure out, you know, that's the kind of data input that typically gets thrown away. We were using it to understand uh, that actually the, the cadence uh, that people were typing as a way that to find out more about them. I can tell a human versus a bot by how how evenly they they uh, they type, for example. Um, and so, when you have a business that is you know sort of open to creativity and innovation, you end up really fostering uh, a culture where there's no limit to you know what they could do. You know, we didn't you know we weren't just focused on selling licenses to software, for example, but we could really understand uh, how to go a little deeper into, into developing a good solution for a client that ultimately, you know, end, ends up getting scaled. So I think that's a key thing is a culture where, um, you know, you're not trying to force everybody down, you know, one narrow lane. And I see VC funded companies, uh, you know, all the time, they, they have developed maybe a SaaS product and they've got all their SaaS metrics uh, and it's sort of forced this homogenization in some ways of the tools that are getting built to solve these big problems. Um, and so I think one of those, you know, opportunities, uh, you know, again, is just to maybe push back against that a little bit um, and, and understand what the customer problem is. Like we send our deployment engineers, our field forward folks, and they'll sit side by side with customers and watch them use the product. Um, and understand how implementations go. And again, that's the expectation around here. So, so one of them, you know, one of those things is culture. And that builds uh, an adaptivity that I think is really helpful when you're truly building something that's maybe customer-centered, not just, um, you know, a SaaS metric that you're, you're trying to, you know, drive some adoption or download rate. Uh, I think for us, 
um, especially the, the nature of AI, we're pretty focused on um, on the results of that. So I think that's the, you know, it's, I want to click on that for a second because I want to yeah. I want to expound on what you're saying here or what I hear you saying. It, a lot of times people get product centered, right? They focus on the product. They have a product, they put it on the market, and then they they get their product feedback. Add this bell, add this whistle, but they kind of stay focused on the product. And what you're talking about is more customer centric, right? Where you say, listen, we have a product, but what does the customer need? And being truly attuned to the needs of the clients and your customers in the market, and then providing value directly to them, rather than being beholden to your own, your own widget. Is that, that's what I think I'm hearing you say, and maybe I'm, I'm putting in more starker terms. No, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think you if you if you look around and you see sort of all the layoffs happening, uh, you know, in these big VC funded companies, um, you know, there's been it's hard to see what success is. Right. It's harder today to understand if that particular company has been successful. I mean, we have these multi-billion dollar companies that don't have that are public. That'll, they don't have even have a chance of hitting a billion dollars of revenue. And, you know, that's not necessarily an innovation, um, you know, that, that is enhancing humanity in my, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, these measures of success are hard to understand. And so you have all these people that are kind of chasing uh, either valuation headlines or, or these other things that really cloud the reality. And I think, uh, when you see a, a lot of the marketplace, um, there's this, this, you know, sort of copycats, right? And it's, especially in the tool business, when you look at AI, this is my criticism of AI and, and, you know, middleware software tools, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of companies that claim some kind of AI something. And so it's really hard to make sense of, of who's doing what and if they're even real. Um, and then you got venture capitalists that are willing to back these ideas, which are great. Um, but the venture capitalist needs to remove risk from the equation. So how do they do that? Like if you're customer focused, truly customer focused, and you're leaning in um, to an individual customer to harden a use case and improve, um, improve a result, well, you know, that's not something that can really scale, especially in the early days. What scales is put my widget up, watch my metrics, um, and try and drive some kind of mass adoption. And the world claims that as, as sort of success and all these other companies like emulate it. But really that's the VC trying to remove risk or the, the equity investor trying to remove risk from their investment, not trying to build something that's truly like durable and impactful for the world. So I, I just see those things at odds. Like an investor yeah, wants to remove yeah. risk, but you have to risk in order to really delight a customer and, and do something profoundly different. You know, um, those things are at odds. They are. I, I mean, and so depending on the investment group that you're with, their, their risk tolerances and their portfolio as they manage their portfolios, which a lot of them are doing now, right? Like yeah. right now, there's yeah. a lot of review of portfolios. I, I know some projects that are not operating anymore um, based on you know the current climate but yeah I think you're, you can't not be product focused and be predictable right with predictable outcomes uh, while being focused on a customer and what their changing and shifting needs are and so you know the adaptive executive 
to be adaptive is about listening to the customer, listening to the market and being able to make strategic pivots, not just as an individual, but as an organization. So I love the work you're doing there. And uh, I want to want to touch on a couple of other things or, you know, or it's been such a good conversation so far, but a couple other things I want to touch on. You mentioned culture and we're huge proponents of culture. Is there any um, touchstones in culture, any key words or phrases or what is it drives the culture at Torch AI? What's funny is I, it's not my quote, but I read one time uh, that, you know, culture is what you let people get away with. Uh, and I think that <laughs> to some extent, that's probably true. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I have uh, a lot of ambition and energy and, uh, and, and I work hard and, and I have high expectations of people. And so I think, you know, I think the leadership uh, sets the culture largely. And I think the other, so, so one, it would be, you know, whoever is at the top, what is their expectation of, in life? You know, are they a, a clock watcher, um, you know, time card puncher type uh, leader? Um, or do they live kind of a bigger life? Um, and, and I think that's kind of half of the equation. Um, and then the other half of the equation is this idea that uh, you either are giving energy or taking energy away from people. And so, you know, I think for, for sure, as a leader in a business, you, you, you know, you've got this sort of acute sense for that. Um, but it's also like the people that are around you as the business scales and gets bigger, it's no longer just, you know, me and a band of merry folks. It's, it, it ends up being hundreds of people across multiple dozens of functions. And, you know, it really, you set the tone because if you're giving energy to your people and you're requiring them to give energy to the people they have and, and your employees as they engage with each other, um, you know, if, if there's kind of this expectation that, uh, and I think it, that's kind of the easiest way to think of it is I'm either giving or taking energy from a room or a person. And if you're really focused on giving energy, um, uh, momentum can happen. And I think that's, a, it's, it, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, frankly. Hmm. Um, giving versus taking i like it so i want to step into um so for yourself and and and, and I, I don't know the, the full history of torch ai but i know that you've been growing you've been growing through new new uh revenue as well as through acquisition mm -hmm. and so your employee base is expanding um but you as the founder and ceo and 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 you, you mentioned there was one other guy that probably at the beginning how have you kind of stayed on the front edge, what we like to call being the adaptive executive? Is there a particular mindset or is there a routine, a ritual, a behavior, a practice that you have our listeners could maybe pick up today if they, if they liked it? Is there something that you do that keeps you uh, on the bleeding edge? Yeah, I think it's a, a, another great question. So the, uh, I mean, I think about this all the time. I'm sort of wired to live in the future and be creative. You know, um, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I've, I've owned and still own uh, several companies and I invest in stuff actively. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just wired that way. Um, you know, I raced Ironman very competitively for a long, long time. And that's sort of this discipline. You, what I learned there was, was this concept of developing habits and, uh, if you want to be really good and competitive at that sport, it's really complicated. Um, and so the best 
you know, the best thing that, that ever happened to me there was developing just routines uh, that I would lean on, right? So mm-hmm. uh, eating right, uh, training every day and doing things like develop, literally developing routines around things. And as an entrepreneur, that's, you know, it sort of flies in the face of, you, of how you're naturally wired, right? You're naturally wired for chaos. Um, but success comes from, uh, you know, being disciplined and, and uh, kind of programmatic. So I run every day. Um, I find that I need two things uh, to deal with, uh, again, adaptation. You know, one is I need to process my thoughts and get sort of some of the emotional clarity out of it. Um, when my fear manifests itself, it's not always pretty. And so one of the things that I find that I need uh, is to um, just get out of my own head a little bit. You know, uh, sometimes I, you, you know, sometimes I get uh, wrapped around the axle a little bit. Uh, and again, it's fear, right? It's, it's, it's normal human neuroses, but, uh, I find that running the solitude of running, uh, in the morning, uh, especially helps clear my head. So that's one thing, uh, you know, sure. I love it. Then what I do in the afternoon or the evenings, uh, is I walk my dogs with my wife. And so I also need a sounding board. So maybe those are the two things that help me, uh, one, I'm maybe three. I'm self-aware. I know, uh, even though I still struggle sometimes with it, but I, I I'm self-aware and I understand, uh, you know, what's driving me. I need a little brain time and and I need a sounding board. And I've had a great wife. Uh, we've been uh, married for over 20 years, and and she's been a, a good partner of mine. It, it, you know, it just uh, she sees the world different than I do. And so that that alternate point of view, I think, is also super helpful. I love that. So, you know, we're big on habits and routines as well. And so for you to call that out is, I think, is right on something we're very consistent with. But the, the morning run, clearing the head, I think processing uh, and it's not processing logic it's processing your own emotions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You state that, right? It's processing how you feel about the situation. Uh, yeah. You bring up fear, which anyone in business and in significant roles of leadership has got to deal with. Um, and, it, you know, I think, uh, you know, we are who we are mostly because of our spouse, um, that, that, that person, whether, you, you know, your husband, your wife, whoever that is, that person that knows you and can be that sounding board. Um, I think those are absolute great takeaways. Hey, before we wrap up our call today, Brian, if somebody um, listening to our show today wanted to connect with you or reach out to you or get in touch with Torch AI, where would they go? Yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, engaging folks on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there a couple times a week, and um, I'm anybody that's really thinking about being an entrepreneur, technology. Uh, I, I really enjoy engaging, uh, answering questions, and um, you know, would love to help anybody that's thinking about you know a similar journey for sure. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you again for uh, joining us today here, and really appreciate you know your thoughts and your comments. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard, and thank you for listening.